Welcome to the Wagging Tails podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Noble Canine, canine behavioural specialists and dog trainers. We provide global online consultations and training, as well as physical training and behavioural rehabilitation within Singapore. Welcome to this episode of the Wagging Tails podcast. We're doing this episode live on Facebook, and it's a Valentine's Day special. What we're going to be talking about today is exploring the ways that dogs impact people's love lives. We're not just going to be talking about the good, we're going to be talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we're actually going to be looking at how dogs can impact our relationships in any way. However... We do have a lot of heartwarming stories. We've got a lot of uh, good about this as well. Um, One thing that I will share straight off the bat is that with the three dogs that we have, it's actually been a really good thing for my wife and I's relationship simply because it showed us prior to having Freya how much love and attention we can give to something else other than each other or even ourselves. So that did nothing but made our relationship stronger. So that was a a nice thing that definitely worked in our favour. But we're going to be talking about the psychology of this. We're going to be talking about the different ways that actually impacts uh, as matchmakers, how dogs actually can bring people together. We're going to talk about dogs training and how actually training a dog helps families and helps couples as well. We're also going to be talking about the challenges and the good things that can come with this. And then we're going to be going into some stories that we got sent in through people all over the world, which was really nice, about the good things and the bad things that they've experienced through having dogs with regards to their relationship. So without further ado... Let's jump in to the psychology. Now, the psychology of dogs and relationships, it's something that has been studied a fair bit, but not as much as as other areas of canine cognition. So what we're going to be talking about is the dogs being catalysts for human relationships. So we've all seen movies where couple are in the dog park with their different dogs they bump into each other and that sparks the catalyst for their relationship that must be in so many rom-coms that i don't even know which ones to mention hitch will smith hitch there you go yeah so that's the catalyst we've all heard about this one if we look at what that actually means it's more about how dogs make people more approachable rather than dogs actually being a catalyst for the relationship. Now, there's actually been quite a lot of studies on that, that when people, especially a lot of the studies uh, focus more on men. When men have got dogs, especially puppies or smaller dogs, they people are more likely to approach them because it softens their demeanour, as it were. And these studies have actually shown that people are a lot more likely to ask for advice, ask for directions, and simply just approach people if they have a dog. 
The reasons for this is that it shows the ability to care and it shows um, that you're not completely selfish, so people are more likely to approach. Uh, I had a funny one like this, actually. Um, I was sitting in a bar after having done a very long dog walk and one of the waitresses came up to me and said, do you know, you don't look very approachable, but because you have the dogs, you actually seem very approachable. And I thought, that's a very backhanded compliment. But when I was looking up about this topic for the podcast, that makes a lot of sense. Jay, do you want to talk about dogs as social lubricants? Social lubricants, yeah. Um, so social lubricants, it's it's a term that we, we like to use. So it's basically dis- uh, discusses how dogs help people ease into social interactions because like some people don't really aren't really that sociable similar to how some dogs are right um there there's a lot of like scenarios whereby dog walks can lead to a conversation when you're out on walking your dog you come across another dog owner walking their dogs um you, you tend to stop and then like want to talk to the owner and then maybe majority of the time i would say is because you want to let your dog interact with the other dog you know, let them have some friends, let them have some fun, maybe play around, say hi to each other. That's breaking the ice. So that's like the social lubricant of, of what our dogs are. Uh, like every estate, every part of the world, your little neighborhood, your your few houses in, in one area, all the dog owners tend to know each other. <clears throat> Whether it's a good or a bad thing, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So like, like there's... Every morning at 11 a.m., I know that if I go down, I bring Blue and Ori down, there's always going to be like three other dog owners there with their dogs and they all know each other. They kind of like, kind of just, they might play with each other. They might chill out with each other. It's, and that only happened because like we have dogs. I, I would dare to say like, if we all met each other outside, we would like probably not talk to each other and things like that. So that's how dogs can actually help you guys like break the ice in social gatherings. Yeah, I mean, when we were up at our old apartment, every single day after work, we would take our dogs down to the park. And at one stage, there was about 12 or 13 dogs all going down there at the one time. Everybody was going down and socialising as the dogs played. It was really nice. And uh, it's, it's led to some really good friendships. We're still in touch with them. In fact, that's how we met. Yumin, who now looks after our dogs every time we go away. That social lubricant, incredibly strong there. And people that have moved overseas that we probably wouldn't have been in touch with without those dogs, we still keep in touch with. It's really quite an impactful thing. The next psychological benefit is actually how dogs build relationships. When we talk about relationships and dogs, we normally talk about dogs' relationships with us. We talk about building a bond, building the trust with the dog so that we can care for the dog and look after the dog and keep the dog safe and indeed everybody else around the dog safe at the same times. But within that same conversation, dogs actually strengthen the bond between people living together or people being together because You've got to care for that dog together. In the same way that, I don't say this is a good way of uh, thinking, but you hear people saying, oh, we're going to have a baby to save the relationship. Now, that's a terrible plan. Nobody should do that. 
because you're bringing a life onto the earth. But the reason that was even a thought is because you're then having to care for a life together. And that is also what happens with dogs. So you've got to share that responsibility. You've got to share that experience. And that is incredibly powerful when it comes to bonding and relationship from an evolutionary standpoint, because it shows an ability to parent in a lot of ways. I'm not saying dogs and babies are the exact same. In fact, I've got a couple of articles out there that show exactly why they're not the same and how that treating one like the other can actually be quite detrimental to them. But within this element, it is very, very powerful that people can see how caring, they can see that parental ability, and that's actually very attractive to us as a species from an evolutionary standpoint. Now, when we think about the teamwork which is involved, it's actually not minor. There's quite a lot to it, whether it be as simple as feeding the dogs, making sure the dogs are walked, making sure the dogs get their medical checks, making sure that you're spending time with the dogs, you're developing the dogs, you're not just neglecting them because when you do neglect the dog, you end up with behavioural issues. That sounds very, very similar to raising a little human, doesn't it? So this is one of the big reasons that actually having a dog can build a relationship to be much, much stronger. With that, we can look at the academic insights, which basically shows a lot of psychological papers indicating that pet owners have a higher level of social capital, which means that they're a lot more socially responsible, for lack of a better term. And it includes things like people are more likely to trust you if you have a pet. They're more likely to engage you within the community. And you're more likely to engage in the community because you're thinking about what's going on around your area for not just you, but also for this little life that you're looking after. You then also got to talk about health benefits. Now, it's very clear, and I think everybody would agree with this. A healthy person is attractive. That's an evolutionary thing. I'm not hating on anybody. I'm not wanting to make anybody feel bad. But from an evolutionary standpoint, when we look at a potential partner, having somebody that's healthy, having somebody that's strong, that's something that is attractive. It's one of the reasons why when you ask people what their favourite part of the other person's body is, they say strange things like, oh, I like their legs or their hips or their arms or their shoulders. These are all signifying areas of strength. And uh, even though we might not think about it that way, in this modern society, that's actually what it is. And having a dog is linked to lower blood pressure, is linked to lower stress levels. It contributes more to a harmonious home life because you're kind of having to build that for your dog's benefit in a lot of ways. And of course, like we spoke about at length last week, you're getting out on walks, you're having to think about enrichment, you're having to ensure that you are active so that you can keep your dog active. And all of these things are massive when it comes to creating a healthier lifestyle, which indeed creates a stronger attraction from potential partners. 
So I'll just elaborate a bit more about how dogs serve as facilitators for compassion and empathy, which I think a lot of dog owners already know this, but let me dive a little bit more into it. So when you interact with a dog, you really enhance your empathy, which is like your ability to understand, to share the feelings of others, because you're communicating in a different way that you normally do on your day-to-day basis. So, and we all know dogs do provide you with unconditional love, loyalty, um, they're there for you emotionally, they give you the support. When you always receive these feelings or these things, it encourages you to do the same. So you, you reciprocate those feelings as well. So that's how it, it develops a person's empathy. Unless that person's like an abuser or something like that, then, then that's a very different thing. So caring for a dog requires you to be very attentive because you, you need to understand their emotions. You need to respond appropriately. Going through this whole process builds a lot of empathy because you learn to recognize and empathize with your dog's feelings. So whether your dog is feeling excited, feeling sad, feeling scared, whatever it is, you have to understand, you have to read all of these body languages and what your dog is saying. Moreover, if you observe the reaction of dogs in different situations, it helps you develop things like perspective. Um, It allows you to understand things from the dog's point of view as well. It extends to interactions with other people because I I strongly believe that Frazier, you, you would know this as well. When we work as well, especially for like the, the first session with a lot of clients, we tend to look at a dog for the first maybe 15 minutes and then we look at the owners and then see how the owner acts and, and what the owner's saying and, and how they what's the term interact with their their dogs. <clears throat> It, it promotes a lot of empathy and compassion in a lot of social contexts I can think of. So this brings me nicely to my next point, compassion. When dogs, they're non-judgmental. They are very accepting of the nature. They teach a lot of people how all these important lessons about unconditional love, about acceptance. Dogs do not discriminate. They, they don't care what your appearance is, what, what your status is, or what, what you've done in the past, because they love their owners regardless of imperfections. And and it's it's uh, a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because there are really shit owners out there, and then they abuse their dogs, but then the dogs still love them. The dogs still keep going back to them. And that's like Stockholm Syndrome, something like that, whatever it is, uh, the term for dogs. Mm-hmm. But this unconditional love and loyalty that, <clears throat> our dogs show us it should be a model for compassionate behavior in our relationships as well not just with our dogs with people if you interact more with dogs you yourself will learn the value of things like kindness uh, patience and understanding you have to think about all of the opportunities that dogs provide us to practice empathy and compassion because it's very easy to get frustrated at a dog for not doing something you want them to, right? Let's say you're trying to teach your dog to only pee on the pee pad or pee outdoors, and then your dog pees at home. You can very easily just lose your shit or get frustrated, get angry at your dog. But if you show compassion and you try to understand why your dog's doing that, it really promotes yourself as a human being as well. You could be comforting a scared dog during a thunderstorm, or maybe your dog got injured, all of these experiences give you empathy and compassion. It's it's very beautiful to see this kind of strong and meaningful connections built while while you get a dog. 
you can actually see differences in people when they get a dog, especially when you get a lot of the more younger single men that they get a dog because they want to get a dog because dogs are cool. And then as you progress in their training and as you progress in their their journey with their dog, you can see them growing into a much better person. And that's uh, something that I actually really enjoy to watch because, you know, it's, it's nice seeing people improve themselves, whether, whether, whether they want to do it or not. It's, uh, it's something that I think is very impactful and very special. We're now going to be moving on to something a little bit more entertaining, as it were. We're talking about dogs as matchmakers and the impact of dogs on single people and dating. So a lot of people that use online dating and things like that, you'll notice that a lot of people have pictures of themselves with dogs, even if they don't have dogs. Why is that? Well, we've (laughs) spoken about that quite a bit earlier on. But that's a big part of this, is that people know this, even if they don't know it, they're not aware that they know it. They do know it. They're like, oh, let me take a picture of your dog. The number of our single friends are like, come over for dinner. And they're like, oh, can we take a picture with your dogs? And I'm like, you can. Is this going to end up on Tinder? You know? <laughs> and it's a, it's, it's a normal thing, and it, and it does work. People do become attracted to that. But one thing that it doesn't talk about is the stress that it can put on dating. Because, yes, the dog might get you an initial connection. But then you've got to understand that you've got all that responsibility of a dog. And when they say things like, oh, can we go a weekend away? Well, do you have somebody to look after the dog? Does your dog have separation anxiety? What's going on with your dog that might prevent you from doing that? And that can actually damage your ability to have an active dating life. Or you could argue that it's actually filtering out the type of people that you want to be with. So there's two sides of that coin. Then we go into things like social gatherings. So like not talking about the organized social gatherings for singles, but anytime we have a social gathering, whether it be for family or whatever else, if we bring one of the dogs or more, the conversations spark a lot quicker. People are always wanting to know about the dogs. People are always wanting to pet the dogs, ask about them. And even this even happens when you can just work with dogs. You know, if somebody finds out what we do for a living, it sparks a massive amount of conversation. So actually having the dog there is a huge thing for that as well, which is why they've actually started doing singles events specifically for dog owners so that it's like a niche for meeting like-minded people that love dogs. So like doggypeoplematch.com or whatever. I don't, I don't think that's a real website, but, you know, it's, that's the sort of idea. There's there's this website that's called farmersonly.com. That, that's got nothing to do with dogs. Let's not touch that one. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that from like a Family Guy episode. But yeah, yeah. it's, it's for... for a specific group to meet a specific group. So, yeah, it's kind of like that, but for dog people. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wonder if they separate big dog people and small dog people. That'd be interesting. Uh, probably, there, there probably is like a category for that, I think. I mean, I'm not going to lie. When we were going, when I was going through doing a bit of research for this episode and I did read a little bit about that, I was thinking, should I go and check that out to see what it's all about? 
And then I was like, no, Fraser, because if your search history comes up that you've been on to a dating website for single couples, <laughs> that's probably not going to go down so well in your marriage. <laughs> so that's why I don't really know that much about that one. But effectively, you can see with that rundown there that dogs are very, very powerful when it comes to strengthening relationships and also to creating relationships. So we're going to share a little story that was sent in to us. And this is how a couple met. So this uh, this is from one of our listeners, Emma, who shared how her beagle Max was not a very good walker. And she was out and the beagle lunged and dragged her towards this guy with a German shepherd. Um, and in the middle of the park, she gets dragged along the park to this guy called Steve, apparently. And that was their first conversation. So it wasn't even like a, a social aspect or a bond because they had dogs. Her dog literally dragged her over to this dude. And that was how they met. And, uh, you know, that's actually led to them being married. The other uh, one a quick disclaimer, to... though. Don't don't just let your dog oh, yeah, you to meet any other dog. Absolutely. <laughs> it worked out for them and doesn't work out for everybody. <laughs> Strongly advise that you don't let your beagle pull themselves towards a German shepherd. That yeah, yeah. could have ended absolutely terribly. Luckily for Emma and Steve, it didn't. Yeah, maybe don't, don't expect that to happen. Okay, so this one is another one from Alex, who went to a puppy training class and met his now partner, Jamie. And basically, when they were at the obedience class, they bonded over the teaching, they bonded over the challenges of, of training, which we're going to talk about in a little bit as well. And that made them sort of spark this romantic relationship and they ended up being an item through that. So it, it's it's really quite interesting. That's that's basically like saying it's love at first bark instead of love at first sight. Right, this one's a good one. This is about a tail wagging wingman, is what the guys called it. One of our listeners, Mark, had a chance encounter with his spaniel where he bumped into a lady, Leah, or Lila, sorry. Lila. And... Uh, Basically, a Spaniel had a fascination with her golden retriever. And even though they didn't start off in a sort of romantic way, they kept coming down every night to let the dogs play because the dogs loved each other so much. And over time, it ended up happening. So his, uh, his Spaniel was basically his wingman. <laughs> so the, you hear lots and lots of these uh these stories, but this one here is something that I really like because this one is a, a couple, Sarah and Tom, who met at a, a doggy cafe, which is lovely, but they both had rescue dogs, so gravitated towards each other, asking about, oh, where did you rescue yours from? Which organisation? What and issues turned, did you face? Yeah, which issues did you yeah. face? And it turns out that they actually rescued their dogs or adopted their dogs from the same organisation. So they started uh, volunteering up at that shelter, spending more time together, and they bonded over that shared experience and uh, the challenges that they faced in doing the volunteer work. 
and uh, it made a really big impact on them and they ended up being together and that's just fantastic to to see okay so i mean all, all of these are very nice stories there's there's probably a lot more out there but um sorry we don't have that much time to, to go through each and every one of them but we really do appreciate all of the messages that you guys have been sending in it was quite overwhelming for this episode actually <laughs> yeah so okay canine enhanced connections right so it's basically how your dogs offer emotional support to you basically they they can sense when one partner or, or one owner is upset or one one family member is upset and they provide a lot of comfort for you so you're creating a core memory for your dog as well as for yourself because it is a shared emotional experience. And a lot of people argue that that's one of the strongest things that you can experience with another living being. Also, when you have a dog, you have to discuss about things, uh, discuss things like shared responsibility. So who's going to do what? Who's going to shower the dog? Who's going to walk the dog? Who's going to feed the dog? Who's going to do training? Blah, blah, blah. It's a lot of compromise. It's a lot of patience. You have to have a collective mind to make that decision because it's not something like you you can't just offload everything onto your partner. It's it's very unfair for them. It's very unfair for the dog because maybe the dog wants to to play with both mom and dad or or mom, dad, daughter, son, whoever it is in the family. So it's it's a huge responsibility. It shows a lot of growth when you actually commit to a schedule that you planned out no matter how tough it is. Like when, when when I started dating, I had to literally state in my profile that I cannot meet for dinners because that's the time that I would <laughs> feed the girls and then I bring them for a walk. Yeah, so I could either meet you for lunch or I could meet you for drinks at night. That's it. That, that was my, <laughs> my, my whole thing. I, I could not, I would not compromise on, on feeding the girls dinner. So yeah, it's it's growth. I, I, I'm proud of myself. <laughs> I have growth. But yeah, so all the stories that were shared, um, it, it was it's very insightful. We we feel very good about <laughs> listening to all these stories, um, especially about how people have come such a long way from, you know, having just. We've had other stories as well, like regarding <laughs> like uh, having one dog to having more dogs and stuff like that, which sounds like my life, but <laughs> but yeah, really appreciate it. Well, we started with one, and now we've got three and four. There's a potential we're going to be fostering one soon, so... Then you'll have five. Are you counting my daughter as a dog? <laughs> she's a single special. You can't deny it. <laughs> well, that, that's only funny until she's old enough to really understand what we're saying. <laughs> okay, so... <clears throat> training together and staying together. Now, we've probably all, all heard this one when it comes to the gym. And it is a very good point. It does work a lot when it comes to the gym. When April and I first started dating, we were in the gym together a good five times a week, and it really solidified our relationship. Um, but why is that the case? And is it the same with dog training? The answer is yes, and then some. So when it comes to training, there's a few different things that we need to ensure that we're doing. The first thing is communication. So when you're working with a dog, you have to be calm, clear, confident, and consistent. Now, if you're not these things, the dog is not going to respond as well to you as they could do. 
However, if you are able to be calm, clear, confident and consistent with your partner as well, that would have a massive benefit to your relationship. And it's one that I know that we would all struggle with somewhat unless you're in a very good relationship, which if you are, congratulations, that's awesome. Mm. But most people do struggle a little bit with that. They maybe don't share as much as they should and things like that, where when you're working with dogs together, when you're training a dog together, you kind of have to open up that line of communication. So that clear and consistent communication is not just vital in dog training, but also relationship dynamics. So uh, any misunderstandings during training can lead to breakthroughs and things like that within their communication styles. Now, I'm not, I'll tell you a little story about uh, one of my clients, but I'll not mention names. But uh, I was working with a couple a few years ago and we were having a big discussion about training methodology and the husband was talking about having to dominate the dog and show the dog his boss and hitting them in the nose and scolding the dog and, and the wife was completely against that. Now, we might be talking about dog training, but that also highlights a parenting style. And people can argue against that, but if you're willing to do that to an animal, chances are you're willing to do that to a human. So, like, something ridiculous, like 99% of serial killers started off with animal abuse. So that's a very important thing to, to look at. And this couple noticed this, but I explained the, the science and the rationale behind not needing to use punitive physical punitive punishment and not needing to be scolding and things like that as long as we do the training properly. And it wasn't necessarily a case of you've got to do this because it's nice to the dog. It was you do it this way because it works better. It's more effective. And that actually changed the way that the husband was looking at things and thus changed the way that he was looking at upbringing of not just the dog, but also children. And that strengthened that relationship just from talking about training, you know, so that it can be really impactful in those ways. Another big one is patience. Jay, do you want to talk about patience? Yeah. <laughs> Just me. So, sorry, I'm chewing on <laughs> sweet. Um, you need to have patience in dog training. It's so important because getting frustrated and and losing your cool just shows your dog that you do not have things in control which one is more um comforting to you if your partner gets mad at the waiter for bringing the wrong order or if your partner tells the waiter you know what it's okay just um you can just bring it back and just get me my order in a calm manner so patience is very important in a relationship especially because when progress seems slow, and it usually does in dog training with a lot of uh, dogs who have more behavioral issues, it really does seem very slow because it's like a, a very tall hill that you're trying to climb and then you don't know when you're going to reach the top. But once you do reach the top, you realize that, that the hardest hurdle is over and a lot of things become a lot more smooth along the way. There might be more bumps along the way and stuff like that. But once you commit to a schedule and you show your dog that you have things under control you're you you are understanding you're patient with your dog you you're a, a good leader basically that builds so much trust for your dogs 
your partner can see that as well. And then you realize that everything is a lot more simpler and a lot more, what's the term I'm looking for? Basically, you you know what what to do. A lot of my clients, like the, the first three to four months is usually the toughest one for them because they're you're changing your lifestyle to accommodate your dog, to train your dog, to rehabilitate your dog. After those first few months, everything becomes natural to you. It becomes secondhand to you. It's and it's always all those small corrections that that us as trainers or us as uh, behaviorists have to help our clients with. Like, don't stop repeating your command so often. Um, um don't stop pull, uh, stop holding the leash so tight. You know, all all these kind of small things. Um, what to say, when to say it. Once it becomes second nature, you're good as gold. Most of the time, they only come back to tell us like, oh, guess what our dog did? And then their dog did something amazing and things like that. So uh, this all comes from patience. Even when it comes to just training when we're not not focusing in on this, I always, the little joke I say to a lot of people is, dogs are like men. Scolding them and hitting them doesn't help punish them. It doesn't work. But the silent treatment sure as hell does. Mm -hmm. You know, Um. And even when it comes to reward, you want to show a man that you're that you're happy with what he's done. Food, affection, and play, and that's the same with a dog. But I mean, of course, that's for all human beings. It's just funnier when you target the man in a relationship. Um, but it is very important. Patience is a huge thing. Growing together is a huge thing. Understanding that empathy is huge, especially when people go through behavioural problems, not just training. Um. Some people that might not have been displaying so much empathy, once they've gone through understanding exactly why a dog is doing certain things, they they genuinely start to feel it. They start to feel that they need to help their dog. They, they, it pains them to see their dog reacting in that way because they know that the dog's not reacting that way because the dog's an ass. The dog's reacting that way because they're scared. And it means that... Instead of just saying, ah, that's just the way the dog is, they're willing to put in the work and the effort to actually help the dog get over this because it will extend the dog's life. It will make the dog a happier animal and it will make the household happier as well because there's less restrictions. You mentioned there about changing lifestyles for the dog. Yes, in some situations you do need to do that. Be all of these people that say, oh, you shouldn't change your lifestyle for the dog. The dog should change for you. Well... That's not really right. If you weren't willing to change your lifestyle for the dog, you shouldn't have got the dog in the first place. But you've got to change some things when you get a dog. And the same thing, you definitely have to change things when you get a child or have a or child. get into a relationship. Get into a relationship, get a new job. Things change and you've got to be willing to be flexible with these things. And that's all part of empathy and uh, how you're actually sharing that experience with your dog with your partner with your family and a, a lot of times part of it a lot of times it just comes down to ego yes yeah yes and ego is. is the enemy as they say yeah, yeah. So, I've, I've heard many people say now i'm not gonna do this for my dog i'm not gonna change the way uh, my lifestyle just for my dog and stuff like that and that's just ego because it's it's not difficult for you to change the, the, the a few simple things I'm not asking you to change your beliefs or your or who you are as a person. I'm just asking you to commit more 
another hour a day to your dog. That's it. And and that should not be a difficult ask. That should I shouldn't even have to ask to yeah. begin with. <laughs> I mean, even when it comes to ego, it's uh, it's fascinating. So I probably shouldn't say this out because then people that are filling out the forms will be able to tell. But there's certain questions in our questionnaires when people apply to work with us that I, I deliberately put in to test the ego of the person, to test the patience of the person. For example, repeating questions word for word. So I've got one question which literally just asks the same question back to back. How people answer that second question, because they have to fill in an answer or it doesn't let them go forward, how they fill that in tells me a lot about that person. Mm-hmm. And it's it's quite an interesting way of uh, of exploring that. The other things I do is I'll, I'll use certain metaphors. So like if a dog's got resource guarding, I might say something like, I might say to the couple, how would you feel if we were in a bar and I just went up and started chatting up your your wife? And you can tell a lot of the time how much ego somebody has by their response. And I've had everything from people saying, oh, do you know what? I'd wait and see what happens and see if she was actually willing to go through with it. Or they'll say, oh, I would come and beat you up. And I'm kind of like, all right, mate, it's a metaphor for your dog resource carding. Why are you getting so angry? And they get really passionate. And that um, that is a sign of uh, of ego. And then you also know what challenges you're going to have with them moving forward with the training. So moving on to actual training and teamwork. So we all know that teamwork builds relationships wonderfully. That's why... If people ever go to marriage counselling, they have to do tasks together. Um, it means it's the same when you've got a group of people. I know that if Sean McGarry is still watching, he will definitely agree that putting a group of people into a team-building exercise bonds them quite strongly, and they do that a lot in the military as well. So this is the exact same thing in a relationship. If you're having to band together, you're having to actually work as a team, remembering the commands, remembering the hand signals, remembering what the do's and the don'ts are, trying to figure out the management within the household. All of this stuff is things you've got to work at as a team. So that's a huge reinforcer for a couple And that's all being brought forward by basic training. Having a trainer turn up or having a behaviour specialist turn up or going to a training class, these are things that you've got to schedule. You've got to put them together. You've got to talk with each other, communicate, figure out when can we do this. All of that stuff is a massive bonding experience. And these are the beautiful things that happen, is that people do end up bonding together. They do become stronger as a couple and a lot of that's based on the dog and even friends I remember there was a a dog I was working with a while ago now I'm not going to mention the name but I was just trying to remember the name in my head there Um, but effectively they were flatmates they were uh, they lived in the same apartment they were renting together but they weren't an item but obviously the dog's behavior problems was a problem for both so they ended up having to work on this together and through the journey of having to work together, they ended up becoming a romantic couple and that was because of that requirement to to work together. Before we move on, I will actually just 
give a few tips to couples when they're training their dogs. A lot of people set the bar too high too quickly and they say, right, this is the goal that we want to have. Let's go for it. Right. The same with anything. Set smaller goals. Celebrate those small victories. If that victory is as small as getting your dog to stay for 10 seconds, great. That's your victory. Celebrate that together. You know, encourage each other to be consistent with your training, with your commands, with your responses and how you're actually having to deal with the dog. And even you could have friendly competition. There was a couple, again, that I worked with a while ago. There was two dogs. Both dogs needed training. Both dogs had similar behavioral problems. And they decided that the husband was going to take one and the wife was going to take the other. And they were going to see who could get the best result. And it really worked quite well. They were a very strong couple already, but that was a very um, a very impressive thing to see because in the group chat, I would say, oh, this dog did this, this dog did that. They'd be sending me videos to try and impress me with how much further they're getting. And that was down to the friendly competition, you know? So there's, there's different things you can do as a couple to improve that training, which perhaps doing it as a single person wouldn't have the same impact. Okay, now we move on to what everybody actually wants to hear. And that is the challenges of this. So before we go into the ones that I've uh, gone through that were emailed in, I'm going to go into the comments. And Herms says, I think every dog owner has different views or preferences when it comes to little things about dogs, life and care as well. Little things like allowing the dog up onto the sofa versus can we not allow them on the sofa? This can escalate into a lot of heated arguments when it comes to living together as a couple. Yes. And you yep. see it all the time. Yep. And it can be as small as is the dog allowed up on the sofa? And it can be as big as the dog has snapped at somebody and one partner wants to put the dog down and everything in between. And these disagreements, although you could blame that on having a dog, to be honest, it actually highlights a difference in thinking within that couple. And if they can't resolve that difference in thinking, that disagreement on the dog's welfare or training, that's highlighting a weakness within that relationship already. So there's nothing wrong with having a disagreement and then working it out and coming out the other side stronger. But if that breaks it down, if that breaks the relationship down, then yeah, of course, that's a really big issue. And I would argue that that happening with the dog being in your life actually helps you dodge bullets. Because mm -hmm. if you have got fundamental disagreements with how a dog is going to be cared for, what's that going to look like in 10 years? What's that going to look like when you've been married for 25 years and you've got kids? What's that going to look like when you're in retirement years with them? You know, you've got to understand that, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, you can look at that as the dog might have caused an issue, but did the dog cause an issue or was the issue already there and the dog's presence in your life has highlighted that? So, it's a, it's a very good point, Erms. And Sean chimed in as well saying, 
it's a very good point, especially when you have dogs in larger families with different rules and different houses. Not going on the couch, not going up the stairs can be confusing for the dogs, of course. So if you've got a dog that uh, has their core home, but then they go to a different home um, on weekends or they, they go to different homes when they're being looked after while their core owners are abroad. In fact, Herms, you can relate to this very well, and no, Sean, you can relate to this as well, is that these different households can cause confusion with the dogs and create regression in the dog's training. So if in one house the dog's not allowed up in the bed, but the other house they are, and then that dog goes back to the original house, the dog doesn't know the difference between bed A and bed B. So when the dog jumps up on bed A, that's not the dog's fault. That's the consistency of the dog's care. So that larger family creates a lot of issues and it makes it challenging. Um, and again, I don't mean to keep going back to, to ex-clients, but th there's a lot of very good examples here. There was one dog we were working with, and I, I'm not exaggerating here, there was about 12, maybe more, 12 or 14 people living in this house, multi-generational household, huge house, but multi-generational household, and the way that people were thinking of how the dog should be treated, how the dog should be trained, what the dog's boundaries should be, were all different. People called the dog different things. People all have nicknames for their dogs, but as long as you're consistent when it comes to actual giving cues, it's fine. But if everybody's inconsistent, that makes it very difficult. So it means that as you're working forward, if there's no consistency, the dog's getting so confused that you're not going to get great results with behavioural shaping or with training as well. So there's a lot of challenges when it comes to that, especially when it comes to fundamental differences in how you believe the dog should be treated. So this really comes down to looking at all of this, whether it be training methodology, whether it be the care for the dog, whether it be boundaries, whether it be the partner, one partner having a stronger bond with the dog than the other, and that part, the other partner might feel a bit jealous. All of this is a huge factor when it comes to relationships. And I do know that there was, a, I'm definitely not mentioning names here, but there was one client that I got hired by a couple, went to the initial consultation, then afterwards went our separate way, didn't hear back from them for a couple of months. And then just heard back from the husband. The couple had got a divorce because the wife wanted to give the dog back to the shelter and the husband wanted to rehabilitate and care for the dog and get the dog into a state where she could be in a, in a very happy home. And that fundamental disagreement on what they were willing to do for the dog broke that marriage apart. Mm -hmm. you know? That's my boy. And, yeah, well... <laughs> You know, and, and, and to be honest, Jay's, Jay's saying that as a bit of a joke, but I remember Jay and I talking about it afterwards and thinking that takes real guts to have that much grit, that much determination in what your core beliefs are. That he, he believed that, no, you don't just give up on an animal that needs your help for a convenience. And he was willing to separate for that. And that is quite an impressive thing. I think he dodged a bullet. <laughs> well, there's, well, that's what I was saying earlier. If if their actual ethics were so different, they, they probably did. So that's what can happen with the negatives. But then you've got 
the actual overcoming of obstacles. So you're always going to have disagreements in parenting and dog care and training your dog or even when it comes to extended family. Now, it's important that you're actually able to overcome these obstacles together and work through them with communication and with problem-solving skills. And yes, that's when it can become very important to involve a professional who's going to be able to look at that and say, okay, these are your, your method. This is how you can get this done. It's up to you guys to actually execute it, but we'd be there very much as a support network for you. Now, again, this is when people can come out the other side a lot stronger. I'm not going to mention names here because they didn't write in, but I remember very, very clearly one couple that had a very reactive dog. They were struggling greatly. And we did a peer-to-peer -peer walk with my boy, Athos. And at the end of the session, I brought my dog back upstairs to the apartment. I came back downstairs to have a briefing with them. And the wife was over waiting for the grab pet. And the husband was waiting for me at the bottom of the block. And he said, Fraser, we really need to get this sorted. It's putting such a strain on our relationship. If we can't get this fixed, I don't know if we are going to survive as a couple. And I... I'm not going to lie, I felt a lump in my throat when he said that, because I was like, oh, man, that's intense. Um, and that was when we changed tact and we made sure that we were seeing each other a lot more regularly. It was clear that they needed a lot more support, they needed a lot more consistency. And at one stage, I was seeing them twice a week, and then we dropped it down to once a week, then dropped it down to once a month. And we still see them now and again, just for maintenance sessions, but that was very important for them because without that expert advice saying this is how you'll get over these obstacles, there's a high chance that they wouldn't have survived. And that's in their own words, you know. So there's a lot of these real challenging aspects when it comes to especially behavioral problems and not just training. Yep. Okay. So everybody knows that that relationships do tend to fizz out. Is that the term I'm looking for? <laughs> After some time, some people think that, oh, you know what? It's like what Fraser said earlier, or oh, maybe to save this relationship, we'll have a baby. So instead of baby, some people look at, um, let's have a dog together. But it should not be used as a reason to, to save a, a dying relationship or whatever. It should be something that both of you are looking forward to because both of you want it. Both of you can commit to it. Both of you have the responsibility to do it because it is a very, it is a very rewarding experience because you're giving both of you in the relationship a shared sense of purpose. I know that if I don't have my girls, I'd probably be 150 kilos by now. Because apart from that, I would not be leaving the house as often. I'll probably just leave the house for work, get groceries and come home. But I have my girls, so I, I do like a five kilometer walk a day at least for them. There's there's very simple joys in canine companionship that we tend to overlook. We don't realize it ourselves. But when when you look back and you think about it, about how your life has changed, what what you've what hurdles you've accomplished, what you've gone through with your dogs in your relationship or just by yourself. It's a very 
huge impact. It's a very positive impact on on your on you as a person or or in your relationship. The shared responsibilities can also <clears throat> lead to a deeper sense of bonding with your partner as well, not just with your dog, because you have to work as a team. So think about all these things. Do you have a, a good form of a good line of communication with your partner already? This this is a huge responsibility. And I'm pretty sure like our parents told us that before. As a kid, like, oh, I want a dog. Oh, it's a big responsibility. As a kid, I'm like, oh, I can I can get a responsibility. That was my response. <laughs> I can I can hold a big responsibility or something like that. I can't remember. Because we we as kids, we didn't understand the the full impact of what a responsibility is. Absolutely. Okay, well. Now, we're going to be looking at actual stories that people have sent in to us. Now, these are quite quite nice. Um, I do apologise, we're not able to go through all of them because we got an overwhelming response. Okay, so number one, Emily and KC at East Coast Park in Singapore. Okay. Dear Fraser and Jay, my name is Emily, and I'm reaching out from sunny Singapore with a story that's close to my heart. My partner KC and I met under the most serendipitous circumstances at East Coast Park. I was trying to coax a scared stray dog into safety. KC came out of nowhere to help. We managed to get the dog and named the dog Lucky, and he became the catalyst for our relationship. Through taking care of Lucky together, we found love. I wanted to share our tale and remind everyone that sometimes the best things in life come unexpectedly. Thank you for wagging tails for spreading such heartwarming stories. Well, that's very nice. Okay, well, what I'm, this is a lovely story. I absolutely love this. It is important to understand that if you are trying to coax out a stray dog, it's a good idea to get in touch with the AWG that's controlling that area so that you don't get hurt. But luckily, KC was there to help Emily, and it turned out to be absolutely wonderful. So Lucky, their dog, has showed a lot of uh, fear, of course, because being astray, might have had past trauma. The Lucky's initial behavior is fear and anxiety, which is the case for a lot of rescue dogs. But at the same time, Lucky was of sound mind enough to think of the need for safety. So that's why he responded, he or she, responded to Emily and, and Casey's attempt to coax him, which, which shows like a desire for security and protection. That, that, that shows a lot about a dog's personal character to begin with. And of course, them being the, I mean, him being the bonding catalyst was showing like shared responsibility for taking care of him. It became a great experience for them. So that, that means that he's a really friendly and adaptable dog once he felt secure. That, that is something I think a lot of people don't realize about rescue dogs. Mm. They are wonderful, but they have to feel safe and secure first. Yeah. Okay. So next is uh, Sarah and Tom's renewed love in the Cotswold in the UK. Hello, Fraser and Jay. I'm Sarah from a quaint village in the Cotswold, UK. I wanted to share how our senior dog, Charlie, became the unexpected savior of our marriage. 
my husband Tom and I were drifting apart, swallowed by the monotony of daily life. Adopting Charlie from a local shelter brought us back together, giving us a shared purpose. Our walks through the rolling hills and cozy evenings became moments of reconnection. Charlie reminded us of the joy in our partnership and the beauty of life's simple pleasures. That's very, very nice. That is very nice, yeah. Yeah, and thank you for, for showing Charlie um, his senior years and bringing him for walks, going through all these together. I'm pretty sure he, he loves every moment of it as well. Senior, senior dogs are not necessarily easy dogs. Mm-hmm. In fact, a lot of the time, you can uh, compare a lot of the stuff you need to do with senior dogs to what you need to do with puppies, because they almost revert in a lot of things. So taking yeah. on that responsibility is very admirable. Um, and it's really nice that that's helped those two so much. I like that a lot. Okay, doke. Evan and Mia in Melbourne, Australia. Hi, Fraser and Jay. Kevin here from Melbourne. I'm writing to tell you about our experience with our puppy, Bolt, who turned our world upside down. Bolt's boundless energy and need for training put our relationship to the test. It wasn't until we joined a dog training class together that we learned the true meaning of teamwork. Bolt taught us more than just patience. He taught us how to communicate and strengthen our bond. It's a story we thought that you guys at Wagging Tails would appreciate. Yeah, that's a good one. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, we spoke about that a bit at length earlier on, but that that teamwork really is a a huge it really matters benefit for yeah. couples and anyone we, we, for that matter. We've had some clients before in the past whereby um, it's only usually only one person who attends the the training session, and then the a partner. A lot does. of clients in the past, yeah, we, and we, present. We, we we tend to try to tell them that that. You know, the training is, is only more effective if everybody in the house participates together. That way you can you can see the bond form and then the dog learns to seek love from everyone instead of just focusing on one person and then starting to avoid the other person. And like I said, again, the dog does not feel safe and secure in his own home. Yep. Then that's just an uphill battle. Yeah. Working together is incredibly beneficial yep. when it comes to a relationship and of course the dog okay next one uh alex and jordan's loss and lessons in austin texas to fraser and jay i'm alex from austin texas our story is one of love loss and the painful decision to part ways after the sudden death of our beloved dog daisy daisy was more than a pet she was the heart of our relationship Dealing with her loss revealed deep-seated issues between us, leading to our eventual separation. It was a difficult journey, but it taught us valuable lessons about grief, understanding, and compassion. I hope our story can help others going through similar situations. Um, thank you for sharing that. I don't think it was easy for, for you to share that, uh, Alex. And yeah, from, from what you said, sometimes people, well, like what we said earlier, sometimes people don't realize the issues that are already there. But yeah. um, I, I hope that your dog didn't, I hope Daisy didn't have, have too much issues when she was uh, passing away. It, it does look like you have, you seem to be a lot better now. You might have had your eyes open after everything was cleared. It, it is a rough time to, to lose your dog. And it's, it's a very difficult journey. 
I can safely say that I I have no clue what to do if any of my girls were to be in that situation where I need to make the decision to put them down, to put them to sleep. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, it's a very real situation. It's quite a sad one, but it's one that we need to address. That it's not all happy stories, and it's not the dog's fault. I mean, you hear that saying quite a lot as the the only time your dog will break your heart is when it's time to say goodbye. And uh, it sounds like that's kind of what happened there. Yeah. Okay, Lisa and Mark in Australia. We got quite a lot of uh, messages from Australia, which was quite nice. I didn't realise we had so many listeners down there. So hello, everybody in Australia. Um, Lisa here from the beautiful city of Perth. After a life-changing car accident, I struggled with chronic pain, which took a toll on my relationship with Mark. Our lives changed for the better when we adopted Buddy, a rescue dog, whose presence offered immeasurable comfort and support. Buddy not only helped me through my darkest days, but also showed us new ways to connect and strengthen our bond. Our story is a testament to the healing power of pets and the resilience of love. That's nice. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, I can tell people firsthand that injury and things like that, that has a huge strain on a relationship and dogs can help a lot there, whether it be through helping you deal with uh, just needing more comfort, more affection, things like that. Or years ago, I uh, I tore the labrum in my right hip and I had to get it repaired and Athos genuinely helped me with the rehab because I don't think I would have been as diligent at doing the rehab if it wasn't for Athos needing to go out all the time and needing to go down for toilet breaks and walks and things like that. So not even just on a mental level or on a couple level, having dogs can help after serious injuries in general. And, so, and it yeah. goes both ways. So if, if unfortunately, if, if someone's dogs um, goes through an accident and maybe like they, they have a long recovery process, some dogs don't recover. And that's because like their owners just decided, okay, the dog's wheelchair bound now. But I, but that's not always the case. Like mm. if your dog can, can help you get through all of this chronic pain or, or surgeries and things like that, you have to do the same for your dog as well. If knock on wood, your your dog gets hit by a, a bicycle, let's just say bicycle, right? And then has to have like hip surgery or something like that and it takes a long time to recover. Your support means the world to your dogs. Mm-hmm. But if if you're always so down and so mopey around your dog after they had an accident, your dog's going to give up on life. I, I'm, I'm not kidding. Yeah. You're just going to realize like, eh, you know what, it's, it, there's, there's nothing to look forward to. So So why bother? But you know what? That's the same with older family members as well. Uh, yeah, you see it a lot. Where older family members, they we might be at a, a one of their children's homes in their later years. If that child doesn't help them move around and doesn't take them out and doesn't help them live their life, they'll start to deteriorate a lot quicker. And I know just from seeing the list of people that are in this room. There's a lot of folk in here that know that way better than me from the roles in palliative care and the roles in the medical field and things like that. And the dogs are no different. It's very, very important. 
Okay, moving on, Jay. Okay, Jenna and Luke from Bristol. Okay, Bristol. Bristol, right. They are Frazier and Jay. I'm Jenna, tuning in from Bristol. I thought your listeners might find our story with Luke's dog, Max, interesting. Adapting to life together was challenging, especially with Max's jealousy, right? Okay, it took time, patience, and effort to balance our relationship with Max's needs. But it brought Luke and I closer together. Our experience taught us the importance of understanding and compromise in a family. Thank you, Wagging Tales, for sharing stories that touched the heart and soul. Jealousy. That's a that's a very common one. <laughs> well, there's one I'm thinking of right now from that, which is a very real problem and a little bit more common than a lot of people would like to admit. I was working with a couple um, who had a little uh, terrier cross, great little dog, very clever, but was very possessive of the wife. And they let the dog up in the bed to sleep at night, which, by the way, that's up to everybody else, everybody's own decision. If you want your dog to sleep in your bed, that's fine. But you also need to bear in mind that if your dog is showing signs of possession or territorial guarding or reactivity towards somebody that's supposed to be sleeping in that bed, maybe an idea not to let them up in that bed. But effectively what was happening is it started off that the dog would growl at the husband when he came to bed. Then it moved on to the dog biting the husband when the dog when the husband came to bed. They kept ignoring this. Then it got to the stage where every time the husband touched his own wife, the dog would attack him. So he couldn't kiss her, he couldn't hug her, he couldn't even touch her, and he was leaving the house. And the dog was just going for him consistently. And only then did they get help. But it shows you that when small issues like this come up, it's important to tackle them early because they can become much bigger issues. And uh, the issue with dogs growling at one of the partners trying to get into bed is a very common one that I hear a lot. And it's just as easy as saying, okay, well, if the dog's uh, behaving in this way, the first management thing you do is the dog no longer sleeps in the bed. And from there, you can start to rehabilitate the guarding, rehabilitate the possessiveness. And then if you want the dog to come back up in the bed, it can do afterwards. But you don't want to be exacerbating a behaviour like that because it can become dangerous. Yeah. Um, there's a few of the good ones like that. There's some really, when I say good stories, are very good examples of, uh, of jealousy and possession where um, there was one guy who... I was working with his dog and he was a bit of a lad, let's say. And I got a call from him at like midnight. This was years ago. And he, he called me and he was like, Fraser, I need your help. And he was, he'd obviously had a bit to drink. And I was like, what's up? And he said, I brought a girl home and now I, now she can't leave the bedroom. The, the dog wasn't letting her leave the bedroom. Because the dog was so possessive of this guy. So I ended up having to get, get out of bed, get into the car, drive all the way into town and help this guy get this girl out of the house. Wow. Um, 
I'm not. So you convinced. offer that kind of service, huh, Rachel? Well, I mean, that was very early days. That was, I mean, we're talking like eight, eight plus nine years ago when <laughs> it was very early doors. So I was more, more inclined to do that. But if I did that for every client that we had now, I, I wouldn't have very much time to do anything else. Um, <laughs> but also because that was a very dangerous situation. It was a big dog. Um, the dog had dealt with a lot of real behavioural issues. And quite frankly, the girl was trapped in the bedroom. You know? <laughs> so what, what, what more do, what do we need to do there? We can't just say, oh, deal with it, mate. So that was a very extreme example. And I doubt those two ended up having a second date. But um, yeah, jealousy, if that's what you want to call it, is more likely possession. Um that can come in all different shapes and sizes. It's very important to to nip that one in the bud. Okay, now we're going I, to some... Don't go on, Jake. I, I thought Blue had some um, jealousy, air quotes, issues. Um, but honestly, she, she just doesn't like to be touched in bed. So if she's lying down at the feet of my bed and then like you move a little bit and then your, your leg touches her, she kind of turns around and just goes... Rrr. That's so about it. And so what you're telling me is Blue is acting like a married lady who's been married for about 30 years. Pretty much, pretty much. That's the case. Growling, growling at the man in her bed. Don't <laughs> yeah, but but she's um... disclaimer, I am joking there. Nobody bite my head off. Especially <laughs> you, April, if you're watching. <laughs> <laughs> but um basically what I did was that um when Blue was lying down in bed. She's not asleep yet, but like she just came to bed to lie down. I would have like a big treat in my hand ready. And then when she starts nibbling it, I'll just try and hug her. <laughs> and then eventually she got used to to having like some sort of physical contact in bed. Mm. Yeah, but but um basically what, what I want to tell people is that even as dog trainers, canine behaviorists, I initially thought like blues was just jealousy. You know, I, I read it wrongly. So it, it, it's still a process for, for us as well to learn. It's it's a, a very good example of anthropomorphization, which is putting human emotions yeah. onto the dog. We say yeah. things like, oh, my dog has an enemy in the in the neighborhood. Dogs mm-hmm. don't feel vengeance. Their their cognitive capacity doesn't allow them to feel vengeance. So they don't have an enemy. They'll have a reactivity to a certain dog based on that dog's behavior or learned behavior from a dog that looks like that dog or an experience with that dog. But they won't have an enemy. They're not plotting against that dog. They just don't feel safe around that dog. They Um, might be plotting how to steal the leftovers off your counter, but they're not plotting about enemies. But but again, that's, that's different completely. Yeah. Um, so that that's a big one. Then other ones are like jealousy. People think that dogs get jealous of babies and things like that. They more just get possessive, um, and they will more than likely start doing things that relate to resource guarding and things like that. People say it's jealousy, so therefore they don't actually tackle the real problem, which can be quite dangerous. Um, so yeah, we've got to be sure that we're not putting human emotions onto our dogs. Because it is, it can be very detrimental. Okay, Rachel and Eric on Sentosa. Okay. Oh, they called us wonderful, Jay. How nice is that? Hello, wonderful hosts. 
This is Rachel writing with Eric in Sentosa, Singapore. Our dog Zoe escaped and we had a harrowing experience that tested our relationship to its core. The panic, the blame, eventually the relief of finding our safe taught us the invaluable lesson about teamwork, patience and understanding. We wanted to share our story to remind everybody that through challenges we can find strength and deepen our bonds your podcast brings light to the unique ways that pets impact our lives, and we are grateful for it. That was a very nice message. Now, this is a very important one, though. When things go wrong and we start blaming each other, it can be very, very bad, not just for the relationship, but also for the dog. If you're so busy blaming each other about why a dog went missing, you're not going to be putting on the energy into actually finding the dog. So it's a very uh, very important lesson that they, uh, they learned there. Save the anger it. for after the issue is resolved. <laughs> Usually right. by then the anger is dissipated. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I like that one quite a lot. It also shows a lot about a relationship if you're dealing with something like a lost dog. Admit now, disclaimer here: don't lose your dog. Okay. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and we did a we did a session on here. I can't remember how many weeks ago on dogs getting lost and how to prevent it and what to do to make sure it doesn't happen. Highly recommend that people go back and listen to that. Um. So with this, we do need to make sure that they don't get lost. But if they do. It shows you a lot about your relationship and how you respond. If you respond very much as a team, that shows a very strong relationship. If there's a lot of button heads, that tells you that there's something that needs to be worked on. And that doesn't mean that your relationship isn't good. It just means that it's highlighted something that you need to work on to improve it, which is clearly what these guys did. With uh, It's clearly what Rachel and Eric did. And, and that's fantastic that they learned that and they, they managed to go through it. Last one, G. Yeah. So, oh, sorry. I wanted to give a this something I heard recently from one of my friends. Um, it, mm. it wasn't a client. So, he, uh, one of my mates has a, a Jack Russell Terrier. He's about like three years old. Really mischievous little boy. Um, very good. Um, off leash and stuff like that. But they were playing uh fetch or hide and seek. No, they were playing hide and seek in their condo, right? Just around the, around the estate, and then uh. I, I told them many times, let your dog seek you, not the other way around. They didn't listen. And then their dog, they, they, he called me at like, I think it was only like 4 p.m. And then he said, I, I can't find my dog. I can't find my dog. He got, he was panicking. He, he was, I could hear him over the phone shouting the dog's name. And then he still couldn't find it. And, uh, still couldn't find the dog. And I said, okay, okay, I'll, I'll come down and try to help you look for your dog. I brought Blue along as well because she's great at sniffing out her dogs, right? And then um, 40 minutes, an hour went by. We really couldn't find the dog. And uh, so we went back up to his place. And then we, I told him to chill for a bit. We, we have calmed down, like standard steps, right? Create like a group chat, start posting on social media and things like that. Two hours later, the guardhouse called. Said, oh, your dog's right here. <laughs> Your dog's right here. Like he 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 didn't leave the the condo grounds at all. He anyone that saw him and tried to walk towards him, he would just happily run 
into the bushes and wait for them to come closer and then he would run to the next bush or to the next car and he he, he was still playing the whole time yeah he, <laughs> he was just having fun yeah he thought it was a game basically and then he allowed himself to get caught because he was tired so he just went to the guardhouse and laid there yeah so <laughs> guys do not chase your dog your yeah. dog can chase you it was so stressful for my friend <laughs> And then, of course, so the blame thing happened because my my first response was, I told you so. Right? That was my that's, first response. That's not helpful. <laughs> it's not helpful, but it's my mate. So I'm going to shit talk him if I have to. But then, yeah. <laughs> okay, so the last one that we have is from Clan Ethan. It's a tribute to Oliver in Adelaide. So hi, Frasier and Jay. Claire here from Adelaide, our beloved dog. Oliver's passing was a profound loss for Ethan and me. Caring for him in his last days and grieving together brought us closer, transforming our pain into a shared mission to help other animals. Oh, that's very nice. We started volunteering at local shelters, honoring Oliver's memory by giving back. Our journey through loss to find a new purpose together is something we wanted to share with the Wagon Tales community, celebrating the profound impact pets have on our lives. That's a very nice thing for you to do, uh, both you, Claire, and Ethan. Thank you for for volunteering and, and giving back and helping. I'm pretty sure Oliver is very happy with what you're doing. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's lovely when we see things like this <clears throat> because a lot of people shut down after losing a dog and they go, oh, no, I can't deal with dogs anymore. But I always feel like the best thing you can do to honour your dog is to help other dogs. And whether that's volunteering up at the shelter or bringing a new dog into your life so that you can give that dog the best home possible. I feel that that's the way that I would go forward if anybody asked my opinion on it. So I think that's quite a nice story to end on there. Yeah. But what we will say is that this topic is an interesting one because it's not one that we talk about massively often. It's a... Uh, it's more about how dogs impact us rather than how we impact dogs, which uh, we can be quite guilty of not talking about that much. But uh, it's not just about improving relationships. It's about improving ourselves. That last story there, that wasn't so much about the couple as it was improving themselves as individuals. It just so happened that they were doing it as a couple. So it's really... A beautiful way to look at this. And uh, I just want to thank everybody for that were watching this live, for spending your Valentine's night with us mm -hmm. instead of doing what we probably should be doing, which I'll need to get away and do as well, and I'm sure Jay will as well. But thank you all for listening. Please like, share, follow us on Spotify, is on the podcast as well. And anything you guys can do with any of that helps us massively. If you really want to support us, which would help us improve the quality of the show, help us bring on more guests, you could consider becoming a Patreon. The link for the Patreon page will be in the notes of this uh, this video or the episode, depending on where you're watching or listening. Um, we are very, very grateful to anybody that's willing to help us out with that. And of course, if any of you out there have any questions or any concerns about your dog or your dog's behavior or training, 
please don't hesitate to reach out to us either by commenting on one of these videos, catching us live next week, or even just sending us an email on our website, which is noble-k9.com. And if you are wanting to go forward with a consultation, we're offering a 10% discount for both in-person within Singapore or next month we'll be able to do it within the southwest Scotland and northern England area if anybody in that area needs it. And to get that 10% discount of either in-person or online, it is WAGGING DOG in all capitals. W-A-G-G-I-N-G-D-O-G. And that way you get you a 10% discount on the in-person or online initial consultation from the Noble Canine website. And with that said, happy Valentine's Day and thank you for listening. Thank you. We'll see you guys next week. See you next week. Yeah.